what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Happy New Year and welcome to The Dose. As you probably know, Omicron is smashing COVID case records across the country. Cases are so high, public health agencies are warning numbers they're putting out are an underestimate. A gross underestimate, I would say. Uh, The variant is very transmissible and it seems to be everywhere. So what should you do if you think you have Omicron? Hi, Dr. Matthew Out, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, So how is Omicron affecting your life uh, this early in 2022? It's been uh, keeping me fairly busy, I think, both on the uh, professional uh, level as well as on the personal level. Uh, Professionally, of course, uh, being both infectious diseases specialist and microbiologist, there's a lot of issues to deal with, especially when it comes to a variant like Omicron. And on a personal level, I've got uh, three kids at home, and none of them are terribly excited with the prospect of facing uh, uh, school by uh, Zoom for the next uh, week or two. They really were hoping to get back into in-person classes as soon as possible. And that's certainly a problem that uh, many school-age kids are facing right across Canada and, of course, their parents, too. Matthew, why don't you give us a hi, my name is. Just tell us what you do and where you do it. So, hi, my name is Dr. Matthew Oaten. I'm an attending physician in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Jewish General Hospital, as well as an assistant professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine at McGill University. Both of those are in Montreal, Quebec. So let's get at it. Uh, Given how common Omicron is right now, how likely is it that if we happen to be feeling sick at this very moment, that it's Omicron and not something else? Uh, Right now, across virtually all of Canada, uh, the odds if you have viral upper respiratory tract symptoms, or we think of it as sort of the usual cold symptoms, scratchy uh, throat, uh, runny nose, a bit of achiness, etc., I would say right now the chances that it's Omicron are very, very high, simply because although there are some other circulating respiratory viruses uh, around Canada, uh, the vast, vast majority of what we're identifying right now is SARS-CoV-2, and of that it's virtually all Omicron. And what are those symptoms uh, that, that people are complaining about? This time around with Omicron, it really is more what I what I called the sort of common cold type of uh, symptoms. And as one notable example, it seems that the uh, proportion of times where people have that uh, loss of smell or loss of taste that seemed uh, so common with previous variants, although it still happens, it seems to be happening less often uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Omicron. Uh, and, and so we're talking about a scratchy throat, a dry cough, a little bit of a fever, some aches and pains. Is that what we're talking about? And a runny nose, of course. Uh, th- that is correct, although I, I guess I should also caution uh, your listeners that uh, although that's how it can start, uh, by no means uh, do not make the mistake that uh, because it looks or feels a lot like the common cold, that it's necessarily going to be as minor as most common colds are, uh, because unfortunately our hospitals, as we speak, are testaments to 
the sheer numbers of people uh, in our population who are getting uh, uh, sick enough that they need to seek urgent medical care uh, and uh, unfortunately all too often hospitalization and sometimes even uh, ICU level care right now. But to be clear, most people these days are having a more mild illness, although we do have to remain vigilant for the more seriously ill people. So if other people in my household happen to have COVID, should I assume that I have it too if I have the same symptoms? Uh, I think it's very likely what we're seeing with, again, pretty early data is uh, household attack rates are very, very high with the Omicron, even compared to other variants of of, uh, SARS-CoV-2, and that was already fairly high. So it really is a very, uh, unfortunately, very easily transmissible infection. So let's get back to first principles. What's the first thing I should do if I suspect that I have Omicron? So... Under most circumstances, if you could, I would encourage you to get a test. But of course, there's a fairly large if there. I guess the bottom line to me is that right now, with the huge prevalence of this in our communities, if you have these kinds of symptoms and you can't uh, test yourself, either because you're, uh, it's, it's inaccessible, it's going to take a week before you can get that uh, test done, I would still assume that you have COVID-19 and follow your local uh, public health guidance, including usually a period of uh, isolation at home. And I'd still govern yourself by the symptoms even more so than if you were to do a rapid test and that test comes back negative, because to me, the chances that it's uh, COVID-19 would still be very high. In the unlikely event that somebody does happen to have a stash of uh, rapid tests, uh, if they're in a household of people with, with COVID or in a cohort of people with COVID, they were hanging out together at a, at a bar or a restaurant before they were, they were shut down, if they happen to be shut down, uh, if everybody else has COVID and their test is negative, what should they do? That's a really good question. So I would uh, let's say that you had the situation of being exposed, but you were at the present time asymptomatic. And let's assume, like most Canadians, uh, for the purpose of this question, that you were vaccinated with, uh, let's say, two doses of an mRNA vaccine uh, that were already at least a few weeks ago. So under those circumstances, you could, if you wanted to know if you were uh, exposed and then infected, you probably uh, should do a rapid test. But the question is that of timing, because let's say the exposure just happened two hours ago. It's probably too soon for that rapid test to tell you the results of that exposure. If anything, if you do a rapid test at that point, it's going to be telling you about your exposure from many hours ago, perhaps a day or, or, or so ago. So you'd probably want to wait uh, what we're seeing in terms of the incubation period for Omicron, again, with preliminary data, is it's certainly shorter even than Delta, which is already shorter than the previous variants. But with Omicron, that incubation period is somewhere around three days. But you might even start being infectious one to two days before your symptoms really become pronounced. So I would say after an exposure, I'd probably do that first rapid test maybe a day or so after and then it really depends on how uh on on the accessibility of further rapid tests if you had infinite rapid tests then you could uh do uh repeated rapid tests on a regular basis maybe every day but uh, one of the other aspects i guess to point out is that with omicron it can evolve uh so quickly uh that uh if you do a rapid test on one day even the following day, don't assume that that rapid test is telling you that you're still going to be negative. If you have to test before some event or some 
meeting where you want to reduce as much as possible the chance of you being infectious, you should actually do that rapid test as soon as possible before that event, because otherwise a test done a day before simply doesn't hold uh, when it comes to something like Omicron. And I want to underscore something that you said real quick. I think a lot of people who are still thinking about the first wave of of COVID-19 may not appreciate what a difference this makes. Uh, You said that the incubation period for Omicron is, what, three days or so? Mm Mm-hmm. So, so that means that that if you're with somebody, if you're exposed to to Omicron on a Friday, by Monday or Tuesday, you could easily be sick with it yourself. Absolutely, it really is moving faster. And what I'm seeing, and again, I mean, this is me as infectious disease doctor. I'm not a uh, public health official. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a lot of things. But I think that people are having a very hard time wrapping their head around how much that Omicron has changed the rules of the game and how we have to change how we handle uh, handle it in terms of uh, our own individual risks, as well as our behavior within a society where there's presumably parts of that society that, are, that are, remain at high risk. Because it's just, if you follow the same rules that were in effect from two years ago, you're not going to be uh, doing the best practices because uh, Omicron is just so much more easily transmissible. So considering the lack of available PCR and rapid testing and the proliferation of, of Omicron uh, and, and its rapid transmissibility, I'm going to figure that I have Omicron if I've got the symptoms that seem to suggest that I've got it. I'm isolating. What do I have to do to keep others safe uh, if I live with people? So that that if you have the luxury of a living arrangement where you can have your own sleeping quarters and bathroom uh, and uh, ideally sort of a a sectioned off area of the house, I guess that's ideal. But of course, that's really not the reality for uh, many, maybe even most uh, Canadians who are facing this. There will be lots of situations where you've got a lot of people in a relatively small area. And given what we're seeing with the transmissibility of Omicron, then isolating to be able to prevent transmission in the household to other people can be really difficult. You can do things like wear a mask while you're uh, at home. You can do things like try to improve the ventilation by, you know, for example, keeping windows open if and when you can. But of course, uh, I mean, here in Montreal yesterday, it was minus 17. And I mean, you can only uh, do that for so long before you start to run the risk of other complications like hypothermia. Yeah. So so you're wearing a mask, and if you are wearing a mask, what kind of mask are you wearing? Simply put, with how transmissible Omicron is, I fully agree with uh, what many people have been saying in recent days, that uh, uh, the days of the sort of single-ply cloth mask, in terms of being at all useful, uh, have long since uh, gone by. I won't say the cloth masks are entirely useless. I would say that multi-layer masks, uh, particularly if you have at least one of those layers being something like polypropylene, something that's got like an electrostatic charge that can actually take out charged particles, uh, there still can be uh, very useful for that reason. Or if you use the cloth mask as an overlay over top of a surgical mask or a medical mask, then again, that sort of improves the quality of the fit uh, on your face. And that also still might uh, uh, therefore improve the ability of the mask both to filter out your own respiratory particles as well as filtering out the uh, particles and aerosols uh, coming at you from the environment. What about N95 masks? 
So if you can uh, if you can find them and get them, I would say uh, there is a role for N95s and KN95s. I, I'd say that probably one of the things that differentiates our response now or our choice of masks now compared to two years ago was, of course, two years ago, there was uh, quite a prolonged period where we had very, very limited availability, even for uh, healthcare facilities and healthcare workers, let alone for the public. These days, at least there are um, much better availability of some, what I would call, uh, reasonable substitutes, for example, the KN95s, although an interesting statistic that came out recently from the CDC in the States is that they estimate that, in fact, the majority of N95s and KN95s that are uh, purchased in the States, and maybe as much as 60%, are, in fact, counterfeit, uh, that are not fully uh, certified and therefore presumably have less ability to protect the mask wearer. Wow, that's an interesting uh, statistic. Do we know, do we have any data for Canada? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, you know, at a ballpark, I would say that I wouldn't be surprised, especially if uh, uh, people are relying on uh, sort of large multinational uh, companies, things like Amazon to purchase their mask. When I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all if we have a similar situation, but I'm not aware of uh, any in-depth analysis to sort of look at how prevalent that problem is. Wow. I want to talk about the the fact that some of the rules have changed regarding the period of isolation if we have COVID. How many days should we, should we be isolating at this point? So that's a, a pretty hot topic right now uh, in my home province of uh, Quebec. Uh, the announcement was made that now for periods of uh, home isolation or quarantine that uh, people in the, in the general public will be asked to uh, do that for only five days compared to our prior uh, standard of uh, 10 days. And that, of course, is very reflective of what we're seeing happen in some other provinces and, of course, what uh, the American CDC announced fairly recently as well. One of the tricks or one of the issues, though, with uh, shortening a duration like that is the data on which it's based, I would say, is certainly far from convincing that five days captures the vast, vast majority of, uh, of uh, people who are infected with Omicron. The estimates that I've seen say that perhaps by, uh, by day five, you're capturing 90%, which of course leaves maybe 10% of people who are still infectious. A big part of this is expediency that with the sheer prevalence and the sheer uh, challenge that the rapidity and the numbers of uh, infections are, are causing us in many spheres of society, the workforce, uh, whether you're talking about a, a healthcare facility or somewhere else, that there has to be a trade-off because if you have too many people isolated uh, at home uh, at the same time, then of course you run into bigger and bigger problems just keeping basic functions of, uh, of society running. Is it also fair to say that given the massive numbers of people who are getting Omicron, that that if only 10% of them are still infectious after five days, that that would still add up to a massive number of people being unleashed on the rest of the world and potentially infecting other people? I fully agree. It's, it's very similar to the uh, reason why our uh, many of our hospitals and ICUs are currently under such pressure. It's that even if the percentage chance of a severe outcome is small on an individual basis, if you have a huge number of people facing that same situation all at the same time, that still adds up over a huge number of people to a large absolute number that can still cause uh, cause uh, serious problems. I guess the way I would look at it is that five days, great, you capture 90%. Unfortunately, that remainder, it's not going to be all by day six, right? We've seen lots of times before that uh, reasonable data 
showed that somewhere around day eight was really more in keeping with previous variants. And and to be clear, the guidelines are are saying that you isolate at home for five days, but once you rejoin the world, you know, going back to work or school, whatever, for the next five days, you should be wearing masks and 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 keeping physically distant from other people as much as you can. That's a very important point, and I think that often in our current culture of glancing at a headline on social media, I think a lot of those important uh, conditions and addendums are being ignored. So yes, I mean, here again, going back to my home province of Quebec, that's exactly what they said is that after five days, you're still expected to minimize your contacts, to reduce, uh, to, to, to uh, maintain a minimum distance from others, to still wear a mask. And of course, all of this is predicated on you being symptom free. And unfortunately, uh, in the situation of so much disease out there, we're relying on people's own judgment uh, to uh, determine what is a symptom and what's not a symptom. And I can tell you from my own clinical practice, and I'm sure you've probably seen that too, sometimes you'll have people who are visibly, obviously, and clearly sick, and yet they maintain that they're feeling perfectly fine. And I'm certainly worried that that, uh, that, that could continue to happen in the current context of reducing isolation times. Would you feel better if the five-day period ended with a test, with a rapid test, mm. and if it was negative, as the CDC is musing about recommending? It's, uh, and you, you raise an excellent point. I don't know. I mean, we don't have any, we don't have what I would consider good data to answer that question as to what the utility of a rapid test after five days is. You know, in clinical medicine, my rule is that if you're taking a risky decision, the way to minimize that risk is to have close follow-up so you know if the results of that decision were good or bad. But in the current context, we're going to be reducing the quarantine time. But with so many cases and so many cases going undiagnosed and such difficulty in getting access to diagnostic testing, I have a feeling we're not going to be able to piece out the difference or the, the impact that this decision has made, uh, except maybe retrospectively a long time from now, and that's not going to help us know whether this was really a overall a good decision or not. The rules regarding shortened period of isolation at home are for people who are vaccinated, who've received at least two doses uh, of, uh, of a messenger RNA vaccine, such as the ones from Moderna or, or Pfizer. Um, so what about people who are unvaccinated or undervaccinated? How long should they isolate? So most uh, places that I've seen enact this sort of shortened quarantine rule usually stipulate that for people who are either uh, unvaccinated, undervaccinated, or uh, uh, considered immunocompromised, that they should still follow the original guidance. And I, I think that's very prudent, both for the safety of that, uh, of that individual, as well as for the safety of those around them, should they become infected. Because clearly, we're, we're still seeing that uh, people who were never immune, who get exposed to Omicron, can, can certainly go on to both become very infectious and to have a higher risk of developing severe complications. We also know that, that occasionally some people with Omicron will be seriously ill. So, so once again, can you remind us of the signs and symptoms that, that would prompt you to suggest that people go to the hospital to receive an assessment and possibly be admitted? Sure. So I guess amongst the uh, prominent uh, warning signs would be 
persistent fever. So to me, persistent fever would be lasting at least uh, two days, if not more. Uh, if you're having a, a shortness of breath, and particularly if that shortness of breath is getting worse, you know, for example, at first it was only with physical exertion, and then it goes towards uh, starting up even with mild exertion. And then especially if you're developing dyspnea at rest when you're just sitting down doing nothing else, that's a really major warning sign that need that means you need prompt assessment and presumably some uh, support, uh, supplemental oxygen and maybe other uh, supportive care. Uh, I guess those would be sort of the major things. So if you're having chest pain, if you're having uh, substantial sort of se the sensation of, of palpitations of your heart missing beats or skipping beats, or if your heart's really racing, those would be to me other uh, warning signs that really should be taken very seriously. Dr. Matthew Outen, thank you so much for speaking with me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Dr. Matthew Outen is an infectious diseases specialist at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal and assistant professor of medicine at McGill University. Here's your dose of smart advice. Rates of Omicron are rising rapidly in most parts of Canada. The incubation period for this new variant is just three days. If you're sick with a scratchy throat, fever, cough, and runny nose, chances are it's Omicron and not a cold or flu. And household infection rates are quite high. So if everyone in your household is sick with similar symptoms and there's one confirmed case of Omicron, assume everyone has Omicron. If you're able, you can do a test to confirm. However, PCR and rapid tests for Omicron are in extremely short supply. To be safe, if you have suspected Omicron and you've received at least two doses of COVID vaccine, you need to isolate yourself from others in your household for a minimum of five days. That means wearing a mask at home and keeping distant from others. If your symptoms have subsided after five days, you can resume your normal activities, though you still need to wear a mask at work or school and practice physical distancing for another five days. Those who are unvaccinated or have received only one dose of a COVID vaccine need to practice self-isolation at home for the full 10 days. For the vast majority of people infected, Omicron is a relatively mild disease but it can cause serious symptoms in people who are unvaccinated and those who have compromised immune systems. You should be assessed in a hospital emergency department if you have shortness of breath that is getting worse or a fever that persists for more than two days, especially if you have a rapid heart rate. The most effective way to minimize your risk of needing hospitalization is by getting a third dose of a COVID vaccine as soon as you're eligible. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Andrea Belmare. Technical operations were by Lauda Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose aims to make you better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.